If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Liz Russell booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dave Woodard and Jen McQueen. TikTok, election interference, public inquiries, and the special repertoire? Is it sunny ways no. in Canada politics or the next James Bond flick? Here's Scott Thompson. No, rapporteur. Rapporteur. Rapporteur, young man. Rapporteur. What, do they not teach French these kids anymore? You know what? Uh, I probably shouldn't tell it because it's family business, but he dropped it this year. And uh, we have mixed reactions to that because he wasn't doing bad in it. Anyway, I digress. So oh, yeah, yeah. Je m'excuse, uh, Kurt. Je m'excuse. And, you know, maybe that is a good sign. You know, he should have given it up. I don't know. All right, enough of that. Uh, hopefully he's not listening. Good afternoon. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson playing the Buddy Holly because Buddy Holly is number 174 on Rolling Stone's uh, top 200 singers of all time. There you go. And still no Celine Dion. All right. Feel free to jump into the fun. Love to hear from you. Uh, snowy Friday, a snowy Friday and a time change weekend. So you got to go out there and you got to shovel and then you lose an hour of sleep. How bad is that? All right. Uh, and then, of course, the debate continues about whether... Um, we should even do this or not, as we had yesterday. All right, then we can put it to bed. Well, at least uh, an hour earlier uh, and until the next six months and we go back. All right, uh, coming up. Oh, I also want to pass along that coming up Monday, uh, Sarah Gemma from the NDP, NDP candidate for Hamilton Center. We're trying to get all the candidates on. Uh, already have had Liberal and Greens still hoping for the Conservatives and the NDP scheduled. Uh, Sarah Gemma coming up on Monday, and we know there's lots of questions there to ask. So uh, coming up on Monday, more on that. What else we got? Oh, yeah. The um, safety minister, uh, Mendicino, held a early morning news conference on this Friday talking about a foreign agent's registry is needed. Well, welcome to the club. Uh, no timeline, though, on when all of this is going to be done. Uh, this is basically people who come from other countries to influence policy here. It's allowed. It's trade. It's what have you. Uh, but some people take it a little too far, as we've seen. Uh, so finally, and this has been asked for for an awfully long time, and now they're talking about it, but they're not really sure where. Uh, this is obviously reaction to the ongoing pressure about uh, interference, ch- Chinese interference, Chinese Communist Party interference in Canadian life and specifically our elections. We'll talk about that. Sam Cooper coming up a little later on in the show uh, to talk about a completely other angle of this uh, involving conservatives. Yeah, all parties. Well, uh, two anyway. So we'll talk about that as this revelation and this story from Sam Cooper and uh, Robert Fife of the Globe and Mail continues to unravel. Uh, all right, let's hear from the safety minister, Mendicino, uh, talking about the announcement of this uh, foreign agents registry. We are at a critical juncture when it comes to the security of our democratic institutions. And now we're taking another step in protecting them. Today, I'm announcing the launch of consultations to guide how we will set up a new foreign influence transparency registry in Canada. Consultations will involve direct engagements with communities, stakeholders, and the general public, and these consultations will inform the path forward. 
And apparently this is due to uh, the increased hacking that's going on. And, you know, again, we're talking about the last two elections, not one, but two that we have information on. Here's what the safety minister had to say. As a government, we must keep our eyes wide open from hacking and harassment to stealing sensitive information and infiltrating the economy. Foreign hostile actors have targeted Canada. While those threats are not new, they have evolved. And as they have evolved, so too have we stepped up our efforts to protect Canadians. And of course, this after uh, the prime minister was asked about one of his own specific MPs, he brought up uh, racism. And now all of a sudden, there's a special rapporteur and now a foreign foreign agency, uh, foreign agents uh, registry and such. Um, And and new information that we talked about yesterday that came out. I didn't know about this. We didn't hear about this. And in fact, there were two reports for the last two elections that stated that national security was advising uh, the prime minister's office so aware of it uh, for the last two elections. So it, it's bizarre. The story continues to unravel. And we'll get the latest from Sam Cooper coming up a little later on. Now, uh, the other big hot local story, the Bulldogs. And, you know, they're talking about an arena. Uh, up in Brantford and such. Uh, the Bulldogs supposed to go there for three years while the rental's going on at First Ontario, then they're back. So uh, Andrea Horvath, mayor of Hamilton, on with Rick Zamperin this morning and talking about uh, the Bulldogs and, and bringing them home. Oh, I've made it pretty clear to uh, Mr. Ann Lauer that that's the case. And I think our city does uh, as well, or has as well. And I think the fan base, most importantly, uh, has also identified very clearly uh, our love for the Bulldogs and their importance in our community. And so we're um, we're looking forward to uh, an opportunity to uh, to bring them back home. Uh, but is there anything more than hope? Well, I guess the city might be asking. Well, you know what? Uh, Brantford uh, is, uh, is a good city, uh, but uh, there's nothing like Hamilton. So I'm certainly hopeful that once our uh, arena has been completely refurbished, uh, we'll see not only the Bulldogs back, but all kinds of other activities taking place. The bottom line is we have to fix that uh, facility. It needs the upgrades. Uh, that's not going on the on the taxpayer's uh, pocket, though, which is a, a positive thing. Uh, but it does need to be done. And then we'll have a state-of-the-art arena, and we'll see uh, hopefully the Bulldogs back as well as uh, other teams as well. And then we'll have a state of arena, uh, a state of the art arena, rather. Uh, but will there be a tenant in it? You know, this is like way back when building arena when nobody was here. Build it, they will come. Renovate it, they will come back. Uh, I don't know. I hope we've got more than love, want, and hope to make this happen. I th- I hope somebody is liaisoning between all parties right now and making sure that this stays on the rails. That's what I'd be doing. Just saying. You know you're onto something good when it just starts spreading word of mouth, word of mouth, word of mouth from community to community, from town to town, and then from there. Uh, at the end of all of this, uh, the point is no one has caught the ace. The Catch the Ace contest in Hagersville still has no winner. The pot has risen yet again, and there is a groundswell of chatter, especially around the Hagersville and surrounding area, about uh, where this is yet again. Rob Phillips here, president of the Hagersville Chamber of Commerce and chair of Hagersville Rocks, partner with the Lions Club in the raffle. Rob, this is uh, creating an incredible amount of attention. To someone who doesn't know anything about uh, this contest, describe how it works, describe what's happening in Hagersville. Certainly. So Cuts the Ace is sort of like a 50-50 draw, but modified in that 
The first part is that 50% of the proceeds from every night go into the pot for the charities. And that's really where our focus is. Uh, when I do a demonstration about this draw, I hold up two $10 bills and I say, when you give $20 to purchase three tickets, this $10 is never gonna leave the community. It's going to the hospital foundation, the food bank and the Alliance community projects. The other 10 or the other 50% gets split up in two ways. 20% gets paid out every night to the ticket that is drawn from the drum. So this event is really growing. You know, in week one, they sold 152 tickets. Last night, we sold 101,872 tickets. So when that ticket is drawn, the winning ticket of the night automatically gets 20% of the sales of that night. The other 30% goes into what's called a progressive jackpot. And that jackpot continues to grow until the winning ticket contains the envelope number that has the ace of spades in it. So 42 weeks later, no one has selected the envelope containing the ace of spades. And that jackpot has now grown to the end of last night of $1,039,812. Oh my goodness. So $1 million and that gets split in half. No, the $1 million, whoever, if someone identifies the envelope containing the ace of spades, they get that $1 million. They get the one million. Holy smokes. Yeah, we How have, long have you been doing? We have cumulatively sold to date $3.4 million worth of tickets. So and we, how long have you been doing this? Uh, it started, week one was May 26th, back in 2022. Yeah. So we're we're now approaching next week, it'll be week number 43. There's only going to be 10 envelopes remaining. So if your ticket is drawn, there's basically a one in 10 chance of selecting the Ace of Spades. Did you ever think that it would get to this point, Rob? You know, not at all. The first time we ran this uh, event, we ran it. Prior to and bridging the pandemic, we went 20 weeks before the ace was drawn and the jackpot was $9,734. Oh, man. And, and, and here we are today, you know, we're sitting, we're projecting the jackpot for next week to be $1.2 million. Holy smokes. So, uh, so I. And, and that's, go that's additive because the winner automatically gets the 20% from the night. Yeah. Plus the jackpot. So somebody's going to, if they were to get the ace of spades next week, they will go home with more than $1.3 million in total. If somebody wants to participate, Rob, how do we do it? You, someone has to purchase the tickets in person at the Legion. Uh, there's no right. online purchasing. It's strictly at the Legion on Thursdays. Uh, doors open at 1030. Doesn't mean you have to be there in person. You know, you can send your friend up. We, we have a lot right. of group purchasing where an employer an employee group will get together one person stands in line and buys everybody's tickets uh, but it does have to be on person and that's something i really want to stress because there was some chatter out there that there were some fraudulent tickets being sold at tables mm -hmm. in parking lots absolutely the only valid way is to show up at legion between 10 30 and 7 50 p.m on thursday the next draw is thursday march the 16th and buy your tickets there it's cash only uh, but we we put people through there in a hurry. 
What an incredible event. What an incredible charity, uh, or, or rather source for, for your charities here. Uh, this is an incredible success story. Rob Phillips, uh, president of the Hagersville Chamber of Commerce, chair of Hagersville Rocks, partner with Alliance Club in the raffle, catch the ace. And of course, uh, oh, well over a million dollars now. Good luck, Rob. And we'll be watching to see what happens. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Scott. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right, uh, let's go into the world of fantasy for a bit and uh, talk about the Royals because there's reports that numerous A-list musicians have been asked to perform at King Charles' uh, coronation. However, they're all extremely busy, it seems. So uh, we had heard of this for uh, a while ago. And then, of course, uh, Harry and Meghan, I guess, um, evicted from the guest place that they had there. Boy, this uh, sounds like a call for Alyssa Freeman PR and pop culture expert. She is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm glad to be on the hot phone and be on the receiving end of that call. So thank you, Scott. (laughs) There you go. You know, it's Friday and, you know, if we have to, we'll get to politics. But what the heck? Uh, So is this just a coincidence that they're all touring at the same time that they don't? And especially Elton John. I mean, he's he's practically an honorary royal uh, royal member there. Uh, Are you surprised or is this is, is there any sort of truth to this? You know what? I am kind of surprised, but when you dig into it, you 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 try and you start to put two and two together. So, you know, when you align yourself with anybody or any entity, you have to think is does this fit my brand? Is this something that I want to be known in perpetuity for? Um and and do I want to be aligned with this person, you know, warts and all. And right now, you know, the royal family is sort of like very much on a teeter-totter and they are having good days and they are having bad days and they're probably having more bad days than good days. So when an artist, you know, a worldwide international best-selling artist is asked to perform, they have to think, well, this is great. Do I really want to do this? Do I have an affinity for this person and what they stand for? And is it going to benefit me in the long run? And I think that there's been some serious discussions that are happening right now, Scott, between big artists such as Adele, such as uh, Harry Styles, that they're talking with their management and thinking, you know what? Not this time. I can see maybe like a Harry Styles because he's a young pop star and, you know, uh, trendy and all that sort of stuff. But Elton John, I mean, come on. Um, he's as old as they are. Maybe he's still angry about uh, how he feels about them and the way they treated Diana. So, you know, I'm speculating here. I don't talk to Elton at any time so that I don't know this for sure. But I think that everybody sort of comes with their baggage in terms of how they perceive themselves um, with the royal family. And yes, Elton John has been called upon in some of their most mournful moments. And, you know, and maybe that's where his loyalties lie. And he doesn't feel that even though he has been invited sev- on several occasions to help celebrate um, with the royal family, that this is not one that he feels that he has to do. And I think that, you know, if you look at all the press and the bad press that Charles has had throughout his whole life with Camilla, now then, you know, more recently with Harry and and Meghan, that, you know, there's a lot of people thought, you know what, I just want to stay away from this now. I don't need to be attached to this. I just want to stay away from it. So does the concert go on with, uh, I don't know, B-listers or uh, I hear hear Lionel Richie's going um, uh, or do they just cancel it? Do they just focus on something else, take the focus off of this? 
they will absolutely not cancel. I think there's way too much face to be saved in something like this. I mean, maybe a lot of these artists are thinking, you know what? How long is Charles going to be around? We'll wait till William gets crowned king. Then we'll come out. But um, no, I think that they will find some, you know, people to perform and the show will go on and that the people who produce these shows, listen, you know, they're getting some very well-trained, well-seasoned veterans to do these type of mammoth shows because they're huge undertakings and they, maybe they will take it away from being a star studded affair and turn it into something that's maybe more about pomp and circumstance and less about Hollywood and showmanship. And that will be the pivot that they will have to decide to make because you know with the royal family it's all about keeping a stiff upper lip you know keep your chin in the air and uh keep calm and carry on but you know um during the 80s and 90s uh when uh, charles was much younger he was known to host these concerts and do these charity things it was sort of his way of getting hip is that past have we forgotten about that you know, I wonder. It, it, it's a really good question, Scott, and have we forgotten about it? I would say, you know, you bring it up and I'm thinking, you know, we're of the same vintage and do I remember these type of things? No, not really. Yeah. Um, do I think that it was part of Charles's brand to bring together artists and to have like really great concerts that were memorable and people still think about? I don't think that that is, is playing into his brand at all right now. I mean, Charles has always been an outlier. He's always been sort of, people feel that, you know, at a step um, with what's going on uh, in, in modern day uh, UK right now. So, I, you know, I think that people are thinking about the here and now, Scott. They're not really looking at this in historical context. However, you know, how often do coronations actually come along? For the betterment of the monarchy, do you think he's ever thought of maybe I'll you know what do I need this for? I'll just keep doing what I was doing when Mumsy was uh, was in charge and and just pass it on to Willie. You know, I, you know what you, I would think right now, actually, Scott is. You know, obviously they're doing this. They make they make these coronations much like the with the Queen's birthday. They do them in the better weather, so some of it is about attracting tourism during that time. You know, you're never going to have a coronation in the dead of winter in England because who's going to yeah. come and see it? But if you have something during the summer, I think that, you know, there's a lot of tourism uh, that is tied in with this. So, but, you know, when you think about sort of the target that the royal family is now, you know, the taxpayer expense to the royal family, you know, the, the coffers and the land, uh, you know, that they own, Maybe Charles should have just kept this a very sort of quiet and private affair, had something that people would be able to tune into and not necessarily go to huge expense for a very, very expensive coronation, really keeping in step with the times that it's hard right now. There's people out of work. Inflation is rampant. People are having a hard time putting food on, on the table. Do they really yeah. need to have a big party at this moment? Uh, it's like waiting forever and ever and ever for the pizza to arrive. And then when it gets there, it's crappy and cold. Uh, and it's really <laughs> worth it. Um, so what about the Harry and Meghan angle here? Harry's going, Meghan's not. Do we know what's happening there? And, and where is he going to stay? Is he at the Holiday Inn? Because clearly they've got rid of the little cottage thing there. Well, I think they have a presidential suite at the Holiday Inn, so maybe something or something close <laughs> to the house. But that's right. But, hey, know, is the prime minister? Yeah. Is, the, is the prime minister going? Because maybe he can stay at the same hotel. Well, you never know, but I highly doubt that. Um, I, I th and also, what would he wear? But uh, that's besides the point. I think that um, 
you know, I think Harry will go. I think there is also, when, you know, when you talk about saving face, Scott, I think that, you know, showing a unified royal family is very important. And there was probably a big discussion with Harry about it. And it was like about, well, Megan's not going uh, or we don't want Megan to go because she will certainly uh, steal the spotlight. And we don't want the narrative mm. to be about, you know, what Megan is wearing, what Harry and Megan look like they're they're talking to, who's lip reading uh, what, what during these ceremonies. So I think that, the, you know, that was decided way in the back room some time ago that says, you know what, Harry, you want to come? Come. You want to bring Megan? Don't bother. All right. Uh, should be fascinating. Alyssa Freeman with us, PR and pop culture expert, talking about the royals uh, and who is actually going to play uh, Prince Charles' big coronation concert. Uh, they seem it to be... It might be you and I, Scott. We better start <laughs> getting right. it tuned. Exactly. Right. Hey, you know what? Why don't they hold a competition to get some local buskers up there? That's a neat little local thing. There you go. Thank you, Alyssa. <laughs> Have a great weekend. Well, just get them out of the tube, Scott. They'll just come on up. Absolutely. <laughs> Why not? Weekend, Same thing. Thank you. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right, in case you haven't noticed, uh, it's snowing outside. <laughs> but it's very bizarre because it seems to be down at this end of the lake more than uh, uh, any other. And uh, obviously coming in off Windsor and out that direction. Uh, that being said, uh, it's going to be with us still for a little while longer. Let's bring in Ross Hall, global news meteorologist and with us now. Ross, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Hi there, Scott. Uh, good to be here. Man, this is uh, becoming a regular thing, you know, you and I, I chatting know. on uh, Fridays. And oh, actually, I don't think it was you fr- last Friday. It was uh, the other Scott. But uh, yeah, basically another Friday and another storm. So uh, where are we in this event? How long do we have to uh, uh, the duration of this? Uh, wh- where are we now? What's the, what does the immediate future hold for us? Well, we're looking at uh, still some snow, you know, just looking at the uh, conditions here at Hamilton Airport. Uh, I guess a congratulations, if, if you, depending on how you look at it from a meteorological perspective, Hamilton Airport has hit blizzard conditions. So uh, in case you're wondering what the blizzard criteria is, that's when winds reach 40 kilometers or, or higher, uh, bring re- visibility down to about 400 meters uh, due to blowing snow or, or accumulating snow for at least four hours. And that criteria has been met at Hamilton Airport. So uh, we're likely, we've seen about 10 centimeters there so far, uh, likely across uh, the, the GTHA or at least around Hamilton through Niagara, likely another four to eight centimeters with these gusty northeast winds reducing the visibility. And higher higher terrain, though, is uh, could be in for closer to 15 to 20, but I think most areas will end up with 10 to 15 centimeters. And it's this heavy, wet snow that we've seen with the last few systems that's uh, not the easiest to clear and obviously not the easiest to drive in as we've been experiencing uh, over the evening commute. On that note, Russ, uh, what about the temperatures? Because obviously hovering right around the freezing mark and, and depending upon where you are, what elevation, it's wetter than it, uh, than it is in others. Is, this, is there any freezing rain or anything like that coming with this? When does it get real sloppy or does it? No, it's not going to be. This looks to be all snow and temperatures uh, have been hovering around freezing, but they're going to drop down to about minus two, minus four overnight. So once again, the snow is uh, going to stick around. So uh, it is going to start to ease, though. I think by 8, 9 o'clock, uh, we'll really start to see that difference in terms of the intensity of the snowfall, that lake enhancement that we're experiencing as well with those northeasterly winds off the lake will start to shut off a little bit. And then it's just some light snow heading into the morning. The morning commute likely not impacted, but of course, 
many of us have to head out to the uh, the walk of shame that uh, that shoveling that we've got to continue yeah. to do that we've been <laughs> yeah, doing exactly. for so long. Uh, yeah, I know it's, uh, you know, people expect by this point in March for things to start easing, but it looks like we're getting a lot of back end snow here towards the back end of the, the winter season. It seems to be all falling within a very intense period of time. So totals, depending on where you are, because this seems to be an event more down at the western end of the lake. Yeah, exactly. So uh, if you're, say, in well, around Hamilton or even higher terrain, higher locations around Hamilton, I mentioned the airport, uh, this is likely going to be a 10 to 15 centimeter event. Uh, even down closer to the water, I think it's going to be likely close to 10 centimeters. And if you're heading a little north and east towards Oakville, Burlington, some of the areas around that uh, part of the GTA have seen uh, close to 15 centimeters already. Uh, and then Parts of Niagara, the escarpment as well, could be in for close to 15, locally 20 with the, the high, really higher terrain. I don't think that's going to be widespread. So a decent snowfall event for early March. And, uh, of course, the winds are not making it easy out there either with, uh, with the reduced visibility on the road. So basically, if you don't have to head outside over the next few hours, just don't do it. Uh, if you do really have to head out, then try to do that closer to later tonight. And uh, by tomorrow morning, things will be much calmer. And we're looking at it a much calmer weekend, at least for much of the daylight hours, Sunday night into Monday, there could be more snow. <laughs> but we don't necessarily have to get into that. But overall, the weekend looks pretty quiet. Wow. And remember last time we got the big dump, it, did, it got incredibly mild after that, but no, no such luck immediately after this one. We're looking at temperatures. Yeah, there's going to be some melting. I mean, w with the higher sun angle, even if there is cloud cover, I, I'm sure many people have noticed that you do kind of hear that drip uh, coming off the roof. Yeah. And, uh, there's there's some melting, but it's not going to be a really quick melt. I'm not seeing any really mild conditions over the next uh, seven days, at least, which is actually a good thing because you don't want all of this snowpack yeah. to melt all at once uh, with a rain event or so on. So uh, it looks to be, yeah, it's, it's not going to melt all at once. And people that like the snow, well, they can enjoy it for the next uh, uh, several days. All right. Uh, sum it up for us again here, Ross. Uh, what are we expecting in the next 24 hours? The totals will be a 10 to 15 centimeters for most areas around Hamilton. Locally, higher terrain may even reach 20 centimeters. Strong winds still over the next few hours. Reduced visibility earlier on. I mentioned the blizzard conditions. We can expect that type of condition to continue for the next couple of hours, starting to ease is by eight, nine o'clock tonight. And uh, then we're looking at some calmer weather. You can head out there and shovel and uh, enjoy the snow by uh, by Saturday morning. All right, all the neighbors will be at it by 10 o'clock tonight uh, trying to get rid of this. Ross, thanks much for the time. Ross Hall, Global News Meteorologist. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. You as well. All right. Obviously, as we've just talked to Ross Hall, Global News Meteorologist, we are in the middle of an event. Uh, looks like it's going to take us at least until the early evening before it starts to taper down. And it's kind of bizarre. Uh, well, this whole winter has been bizarre, hasn't it? Because it seems mostly concentrated around the western end of the greater Toronto-Hamilton area. To talk more about this, including your commute and what it is like out on the roads, Sergeant Kerry Schmidt is with us, Media Relations, Highway Safety Division, Ontario Provincial Police, and with us now. Kerry, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing very well, uh, better than a lot of people were uh, caught in some uh, surprising weather this morning and some pretty slow drive. Uh, it's, it's dealing, we're actually not too bad right now in terms of overall collisions. We're seeing much more significant weather and uh, frustration down on the QW, down towards Hamilton, St. Catharines, Niagara region, but it is coming up towards Milton, Oldfield, Burlington, and really across the GTA and across southern Ontario. It really has been a bit of a messy morning uh, with some areas being uh, much harder hit than others. 
And obviously in open areas, blowing snow a concern. Uh, Blizzard-type conditions are describing up at Ham- uh, Hamilton Airport. Yeah, for sure. And where I'm driving right now, uh, actually on the 407, uh, coming in towards uh, Burlington, we see some uh, you know, blowing snow, a lot of reduced visibility. And as it's, as it's starting to get darker, make sure you have your full headlighting system on so you can be seen uh, visibly, not just in front of you, but from behind you so people can see you. Uh, it is so important. We've got about a, a dozen and a half or so crashes on the go right now through the, the GTHA uh, locally. Fortunately, no reports of any serious injuries or any other road closures right now. We did have uh, some significant uh, interruptions on the 401 earlier this morning up towards Milton, which uh, when the snow started coming down, it just put down a layer of ice and, uh, you know, traffic got caught by surprise and we had jackknife transport trucks you know, all through that area with vehicles involved as well. Are you seeing less traffic on the road, Carrie, considering it's a Friday, maybe some people saw it coming and decided to stay home or what have you? Is there as much traffic as you normally see on a Friday? Yeah, it's really hard to say. Traffic is moving along okay in areas and then slow in others. So it really depends where you are. This is kind of the kickoff, the March break as well. Not probably what a lot of uh, road motors were hoping to have for their start of their drive if they're heading south or trying to make it to the airport. Uh, make sure you check your flight status uh, before you head over. But uh, yeah, traffic uh, you know, is still going to be very heavy and it will be uh, you know, increasingly uh, challenging as it gets dark this evening. Uh, concerns as you head into the afternoon drive and something I wanted to ask you about, Carrie, because we get a lot of notes about this, oddly enough, is that people driving around and this seems to make other motorists happy or uh, angry because we obviously hear from it, uh, hear about it. But uh, people who aren't clearing the snow off their windows, especially when you get a day like today where it's so heavy. Absolutely. You know, and there hasn't been a lot of accumulation. I don't see a lot of big, uh, you know, drifts of snow on top of vehicles. What's uh, most concerning is what happens tomorrow after that snow and ice has had a chance to kind of solidify and, uh, you know, become a sheet of ice. And instead of it flying off as a blizzard, it comes off as sheets of ice. And that can cause, uh, you know, unbelievable damage. I'm sure you've seen some of the recent reports of flying ice uh, flying into a windshield. Uh, It does make for very challenging driving and reduced visibility if it's not bad enough already with the blowing snow. All right, Sergeant Kerry Schmidt with us, Media Relations, Highway Safety Division, Ontario Provincial Police. He's out on the road right now, and, of course, this is going to continue into the early evening hours and care and caution as always. Kerry, thanks so much for the time. Be well. My, my, my pleasure. Thanks for having me and appreciate it. Please drive safe, everyone, and have a great March break. All right, there you go. So as, as Gary said, it's the start of March break. So of those that were, you know, planning to go skiing or, or, or what have you, uh, you know, I guess this could uh, obviously uh, slow things down a little bit. But hopefully as the evening progresses, things will die down a bit. But again, through this rush hour, drive with care and caution. You know, we just had Sam Cooper on, Global News National Investigative Journalist. Uh, he and some uh, journalists at the Globe and Mail, uh, Robert Fife particularly, uh, have been all over this story about Chinese interference in Canadian life for months, years now, uh, it appears. And uh, what you are hearing now is due to the great investigative journalism uh, that uh, Sam has been doing. And uh, the reason today, even more information, Sam Cooper, Global News. 
News National Investigative Journalist with us now. Sam, so when we talked yesterday, first of all, thanks for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, we just chatted the other day, yesterday. Um, obviously, you were talking about two new national security memos that said, in fact, that the Prime Minister's office did know about the election interference way back when. What have you found out today? What has changed? This I can't believe how this story evolves. Uh, the story is evolving quickly. Uh, as, as you know, uh, for months we've, re- we've been reporting on documents and sources with knowledge pointing to uh, an alleged Chinese election interference network focused in the greater Toronto area with at least 11 of Beijing's targeted or favoured candidates targeted for influence in 2019. So as you said, the, the big reveal in the last story was... Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's senior staff was warned in a January 2022 high-level intelligence document that uh, the the Toronto consulate had uh, clandestinely transferred a a large amount into an election interference network. And the document I'm quoting says that it this amount went to a provincially elected official. Uh, It didn't name the official through our sources with awareness of uh, high-level documents and investigations, they have alleged the person is Vincent Ku. He is uh, uh, an MPP for Premier Doug Ford. He was first elected in 2018. And what is really of, uh, of note is that he's a, an MPP in the riding of Don Valley North at the provincial level. And as we reported uh, in the the last story and the, and the previous story, federal liberal MP Han Don, also a Don Valley North candidate, is alleged to be part of this same Toronto consulate election interference network. Uh, the other big allegation from uh, the documentation and sources is that Mr. Ku allegedly was one of the intermediaries that received a transfer that our sources uh, point to as being roughly $250,000 passed through uh, an intermediary, uh, a, one, uh, a pro-Beijing community group in Toronto that uh, very openly advertises its connection to Chinese Communist Party entities. Additionally, we've, all, we, we've reported that uh, the figure or leader from this Toronto group is the, the subject of uh, RCMP police station investigations. His name is Wei Chenyi, and he denies all those allegations, as does uh, Mr. Vincent Ku. But uh, that, that is uh, the reveal in the story today. Another sitting uh, politician in Ontario, allegedly part of China's uh, interference network. So we talked when this uh, weeks ago before we had the details that we do now and you had suggested that it's not just the Liberal Party that there may be some conservative involved in here yet we know that they favor the politics of the Liberal Party they were they were hoping for a minority government so how do you explain are they infiltrating every party here that is uh, that is the what is uh, alleged in the sensitive documents that uh, I have Uh, got my eyes on. I have explanations about, uh, as you know, the RCMP is investigating for leaks of these documents, but I reviewed documents. And to get to your question, they say all major parties in in Canada are targeted by Beijing's uh, United Front Work Department. That's the Chinese Communist Party's foreign influence arm, not only active in Canada, active seeking to subvert democracies around the world, according to Canadian and uh, uh, 
uh, our allies' intelligence, but very focused, uh, deep infiltration in Canada is what we're learning. And yes, not only all parties, but all levels of government. So uh, you would be interested to see we have allegedly a conservative MPP and uh, a federal liberal MP from the same area of Toronto, allegedly part yeah. of a Chinese Communist Party hmm. network. But that these are the intelligence allegations. These networks go across government levels and, and parties, and they seek to promote Beijing's interests through candidates at all levels of government. Uh, as we said at the beginning of this, it just seems to be growing every day. W- where is this going? What next? I mean, we've we already heard about the rapporteur and the ongoing call for a public inquiry. Does this? Do we just keep finding out more? It seems like the toothpaste is out of the tube here. It, it's starting to be squeezed out. It, maybe it's only a quarter of the way out, but as you know, uh, it was just reported yesterday. The RCMP is targeting alleged police stations in Montreal. This is the first time we've heard about these similar uh, in investigations we've already seen in Toronto and Vancouver. I expect there will be politicians targeted in Montreal by the by the the consulate in that province. I expect there'll be candidates and politicians targeted in Alberta, in Vancouver, at all levels of government. And again, we have uh, at least 11 uh, candidates favored by Beijing in 2019. Uh, at least that number favored and perhaps more targeted in aggressive ways in 2021. So uh, I can't say where this is going, but I can say that every day, you're right, every week I learn more about the alleged uh, uh, schemes and uh, names allegedly involved wittingly. And we should add, the our uh, Canadian intelligence, RCMP intelligence, is that many politicians across Canada are involved in these Chinese interference networks. Some know and uh, and some don't know. Uh, there's a lot of education mm. that needs to, to happen, our sources say. All right, Sam Cooper with us, Global News National Investigative Journalist, and the story continues. Sam, as always, thanks so much for the time. Good luck. Be well. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You too. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Obviously, uh, tensions running high in the House of Commons and lots of chatter in regard to uh, uh, Chinese Communist Party interference in uh, Canada's elections and and Canadian life of such. Uh, Conservative MP Michael Cooper uh, questioning Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie, mocking her uh, and saying something inappropriate, certainly certainly close close enough to the line that it's, it has people's attention and using the phrase staring into the eyes of her Chinese counterpart and talking tough about meddling in Canada's elections. Um, Cooper went on to say that his comments had nothing to do with gender and, uh, again, would have said it to anyone, whether they were man or woman. Uh, does that fly nowadays? Jean-Bierre Tellier with us, professor of School of Political Sci- uh, Political Studies, rather, University of Ottawa, and with us now. Jean-Bierre, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Over the line here, John Viev, I mean, this kind of makes everybody cringe when you hear stuff like this. Uh, what are mm. your thoughts? Um, yes, uh, over the line. I'm not sure. I was listening uh, about uh, what the the, the, the the remarks of Mr. Cooper and was saying, well, I would have said uh, that to men or women. 
And I think probably, yes, I could see that maybe you could have addressed that remark to Justin Trudeau, for instance. And so mm. Um, mm. Uh, that would have been a possibility. But that being said, I think that he's, he's signaling that uh, some are weak. And that's, I think, the main issue. And so he was trying to show that Melanie Jolie was not a strong minister and you have to be tough and strong in that position. And there is one way of doing politics and no other way. And I think that's the main issue. And so uh, if Melanie Jolie and other women will, are, are trying to make politics in a different way uh, and, and then they receive such mocking comments, uh, yes, I, I could see why people would be mm-hmm. uh, displeased by, by those comments. And, and the fact is that uh, the conservatives since the beginning of the week are attacking the characters of, of the prime minister, of its minister. And then, yes, that's the kind of remark that uh, you could make. And people re- re- will react uh, with uh, justifiably, I would say, with justification. And so, uh, yes, as you said in your introduction, tensions are high. And so it was not an easy week for, for many, I would say. Uh, there is seems to be credibility issues within the government. Is Minister Melanie Jolie helping? I remember when the two Michaels were released, she said something about them being out on on parole or bail or, or something of that mm-hmm. nature. So it's not the first time that she had misspoke. Uh, is she qualified? I would say that uh, I have been looking at her over the, the, I was saying, I was to go and say years, but she's not, she has not been in position for many years, but I have been looking at her work and, uh, I think that, uh, experience is, is kicking in and, uh, her testimony that I have looked at yesterday, uh, was, I think, solid. Uh, she becomes more and more at ease with her files. Now, was that the case a year ago when the allegation of foreign interference was what were there uh, that's that remained to be seen uh, is she the best person to do the job that's basically the question uh, we'll see about that we yeah. could ask the same question about the government and that's the issue and that's what the opposition party are, are, are trying to dis- to show is that uh, the, the, the the political the, the, the government is not taking that issue seriously and perhaps it could have be done better better and I'm thinking about you know the announcement of ministry and this, you know, this morning about this new mm-hmm. registry and going with the public uh, consultation. Well, I, I was kind of intriguing. And so I went back and read his mandate later. So those are his marching order given by the prime minister uh, when he received the, the department. He heads the department and that was in his mandate letter already. So uh, what has be uh, what has he do be doing for the last two years on that front? Uh, not a lot, as we could see. So uh, I think that the critic could probably be addressed more to the cabinet in general and maybe not necessarily specifically to Minister Jolie. Are you surprised, Javier, how this story has unraveled in a relatively short period of time? Although those that have talked about this have been talking about it for months. Um, but it, it seems that, um, you know, we were just talking to Sam Cooper from Global News moments ago. Uh, there was the information yesterday about, yes, in fact, the prime minister's office did know that uh, there was this interference. There's now in, in, uh, information coming out that it involves more than just one party and, and so on and so forth. Um, are, are you surprised that the, that the, that the prime minister finds himself where he is? How do you get out of this? Is is he not going to be forced into a public inquiry eventually? 
of, of course. <laughs> That's the short answer. Um, yeah. I, there are two things I am surprised. Uh, first of all, uh, the leaks. Uh, yes, you could have one leak uh, on such sensitive issues and I, I thought it would have stopped. And now we see more le leaks. And if I was the government, I would be concerned about future le leaks. I, I don't think it is finished. And so uh, we'll see about that. But so it maintained the story in the news and each time we learn something new, but we don't learn the learn the full story it's always a small piece of information that make us think oh uh, how about that issue we didn't think about that or or is the prime minister telling the truth and that kind of thing so so that would be my first surprise my second one is about the government i think you and i have had opportunity to talk about uh, past crisis with this mm -hmm. government i'm thinking about snc lavalin for instance we could think about uh we charité also um and so until now the government was kind of acting slowly on those files and this time he tried to come uh, quite rapidly with some announcements so monday afternoon late in the afternoon about this special rapporteur we don't still still don't know about too much about mm -hmm. that and then this morning about launching a public consultation so the government is much quicker to announce things now does he act no those are announcements those are intentions so it's still um it's still not fully um clear that the government will take a decision or, or as i said before i think that uh, he will have to go and launch a public inquiry uh, but this government over the over the years all the time that's a pattern he doesn't know how to manage seriously crisis and i think that justin trudeau doesn't have a political instinct that tells him okay this is what i have to do this is the concern this is the right. issue and and i think the government is more concerned about popularity polls opinion polls than truly going to the matter and understand the, fully the, have the full picture of, of the crisis the issue of election interference is one thing and whatever is going on that's one thing but the other thing is the story keeps changing from the prime minister at first uh their office had heard nothing about this and then we find out that's not true when journalists brought this up he used the, he started talking about racism and such and then we flip from that to having a rapporteur and 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 the safety minister saying a foreign uh agent registry so the story has changed is that the resonating with canadians changing. i agree with you and what is even more concerning is that the prime minister is saying i was not aware and now we have heard heard yeah. that the pco this is his own department so people yeah. clo working close to with him were aware or were uh informed about this situation and so if the in fact justin trudeau knew things but he is still saying that he didn't know publicly mm. i think one day we'll we will know about that and so this is very damaging and i think that's the main issue for justin trudeau um it's not about managing uh foreign in, uh, interference because other government also had to deal with that and did not deal with that very well um but it's about himself changing the story changing the narrative and so for you and me it's hard to be convinced by by what he's saying and so for the moment he wants us to trust him about nothing wrong went went um i cannot trust we need more than that we cannot just yeah. believe what he says we need other element and 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 something trustworthy and that we don't have it and if the story change all the time it's even more difficult for us to to trust what the, the prime minister is saying javier tellier with us professor school of political studies university of ottawa javier as always thanks so much for the time be well 
You too. Thanks. Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right. uh, Something that sort of takes our attention away from Chinese election interference. uh, U.S. President Joe Biden is going to be visiting Canada. Scheduled to be in Ottawa for March 23rd and 24th to talk more about all of this. Reggie Giacchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. He is with us now. Reggie, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Good afternoon. Reggie, is this a big deal that this is uh, this has taken so long for him to be here? Is, is that a big deal anymore? Do we care? I mean, it breaks tradition from presidents of the past. Ever since Ronald Reagan, uh, the president of the United States, often their first or second trip is to uh, Canada. This time around, obviously, things are different. Uh, the president took office in the middle of the pandemic, and then the war in Ukraine started, and you know, attention has shifted to overseas crises, and that has kind of taken away from what has typically been, um, you know, that cordial relationship between Washington and Ottawa. That also said, Scott, uh, President Trump didn't come to Canada at all, except for that one G20 trip in 2018, where he ultimately left in a huff and started making criticisms against the prime minister. So this is kind of a reset. It's a little bit later into the administration, but ultimately it does show that there is um, a mutual um, you know, set of interests between the two countries that are going to be you know, ironed out, hammered out, and discussed at length over the 24, 48 hours that he's there. Are the two close? Are they on the same plane? I mean, you know, obviously, Canada and U.S. is always going to be friends, or always have been friends for the for the recent last rec- latest recent history, anyway. So, uh, is this just a normal cordial relationship? Or, uh, times that yeah, obviously we heard of Mulroney and Reagan were quite tight and such. Well, what's the relationship like between these two? Sure. This is an extension of what we saw during the Obama administration. Barack Obama, Justin Trudeau were very close with each other. Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau, well, they haven't had a lot of face-to-face time with each other. Uh, they have met several times on the international stage, most recently at the Three Amigos Summit uh, in Mexico. There have been several uh, video conference calls between the two, and the two are intricately and jointly um, together when it comes to issues of overseas concern, and that has to do with um, NATO commitment having to do with the war in Ukraine. These are two leaders who are working in lockstep with each other. Of course, they do have areas uh, of concern, namely having to do with uh, defense of the border. That's something Republicans have been starting to um, kind of make a bit of a noise about on this side of the border. There are also issues uh, that may have to be dealt with when it comes to security in Haiti and some critical minerals matters. But ultimately, this is a relationship between the White House and between Ottawa that is rebuilding the kind of torn uh, strings that held them together during the Trump administration. Uh, election interference from the Chinese Communist Party during our last two elections, a massive story up here now, and it just seems to be growing with every day. Is that playing out at all down there? Uh, No, that's not uh, something that's registering in the news at all down here. But the issue of an an increasingly aggressive China is likely going to uh, become uh, a a focus point for the two men. Obviously, uh, there was the spy balloon that flew over both countries uh, over the last few weeks that has resulted in some kind of pointed pushback between both Ottawa and Washington on Beijing, along with uh, just increasing, um, you know, geopolitical crises and tensions that are growing between Washington, Ottawa and Beijing. So while there are differences between how China is treating both the U.S. and Canada, 
ultimately the two countries, it is in their mutual interest to ensure that that aggression is capped because there are interests throughout the region and domestically uh, where both could feel the impact of a growing and building China. So, you know, it'll it'll be a conversation. It won't be the focus point, but the two have a concern over it. Uh, normally, when we talk about border security, the concern is between Mexico and the United States. Now we're hearing increasingly that, that Americans are concerned about what's coming and happening at the Canadian border. Roxham Road now seemingly becoming an industry. Uh, how much is that playing in the news? Sure. Immigration absolutely is going to factor in. Again, Republicans made an issue of the uh, immigration crisis that they see at the northern border last week when they were calling out the fact that there are just fewer Border Patrol guards in the north because so many of them have been moved down to the south. And that is going to be a topic that is brought up uh, according to the White House and according to the PMO. Ottawa also is going to kick back at some immigration policy issues that are ongoing in the United States because that's what's leading to this kind of dry to send people towards Roxham Road. You know, it's, it's not uh, unknown down here that uh, New York's mayor has ultimately been busing some migrants that are being sent his way towards the border uh, in Quebec. So this is going to be a, a conversation for the two. These two have worked together. They will work together. It's unclear whether we'll get something hammered out on immigration. But the fact that the two are talking obviously is going to be good news for Canadians uh, because this is the kind of trip that will resonate with the country. Reggie Cicchini with us, Washington correspondent for Global News, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden making his way to Ottawa March 23rd and 24th. Uh, Reggie, as always, thanks so much for the time. Have a great weekend. Happy Friday. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right. Um, uh, as we were talking earlier on, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden announcing he is visiting Canada on March 23rd and 24th. And it, it's funny, um, maybe up until I'd say maybe even the global pandemic, uh, Canadians kind of had a, um, uh, uh, I'll cut right to the chase, a snotty version in some cases, a snotty uh, 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 attitude towards our friends south of the border. Whether it was their healthcare system, uh, whether it was President Trump, uh, or what have you, and oddly enough, there's a new Angus Reid survey out that talks about various things, including uh, Canada and and whether uh, they feel Canadians feel that the Chinese Communist Party is a threat to them. To which uh, the majority now do. They also now have a growing affection for the United States, and numbers and those how we feel about the United States have increased. Increased. Uh, will that of uh, the Chinese Communist Party have, of course, decreased? How do we explain this? Let's bring in Elliot Tepper, emeritus professor, political science, Carleton University, and with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, thank you. Same to you, Scott. Good to be with you. Uh, first of all, I guess no surprise that uh, the majority of Canadians uh, feel that the government should be taking uh, or, or certainly looking at China as a serious threat. Any surprise there for you? No, not at all. In fact, China has had a, a plunge around the world in all advanced economies in terms of popular, uh, popular, popularity. They are paying a big reputational cost for their behavior. Uh, are you surprised to see that the same Angus Reid poll shows that our affection for the Americans seems to be growing? Is this all the Trump factor? Is it a global pandemic, which has been a blast of reality to us? How do you think or how do you explain our growing affection for our neighbors south of the border? It's uh, simply resuming the normal pattern. In, in American terms, Canada would be called a blue state. Uh, Pew has tracked this over a number of years. The 
negative views of the U.S. Uh, really coincide with Trump and his behavior, and his behavior toward Canada in particular. Uh, mm. Remember, we had the new NAFTA negotiations and all the behavior that surrounded that and the G20 and so forth. So uh, this is a resumption of the more normal views uh, toward the U.S. by Canada. Uh, do you think uh, the global pandemic changed that in any way? I think the global pandemic has affected many things, and we're only just now starting to really understand them. And we may not understand them for a long time unless we go back and re-examine. For example, the decline in popularity of Xi Jinping is China. And again, it's it's Xi Jinping's China. It is not the Chinese people because mm -hmm. there's still, if you go through the polls, uh, not a negative view of Chinese of the people of China, but only the government of the Communist Party of China. But the plunge really began during the COVID era, the big decline. Now, was that because of COVID and how they were perceived to be mishandling COVID and the origins question? Or was it because, <laughs> simply, uh, they had come into sharper focus coincidentally at the same time? Remember, over that same era, we had the two Michaels, and uh, Canada led the way globally in using our strength of multilateralism to uh, have a um, a treaty about uh, you can't kidnap people off the streets. Uh, that wasn't the formal title, but that that was its part of it. So Xi Jinping's leadership has come increasingly into focus simultaneously with, in particular, most recently, of course, with COVID. So it's hard to differentiate why the popularity of China has gone down. And not of China, but of, of Xi Jinping's regime, the Communist Party. Uh, it's hard to sort out all the factors, but it's very clear that China is paying among advanced economies a huge reputational cost, and their popularity is lowest among the countries around them. Uh, we have some the, the figures you cited about China, but also uh, Australia, I think, is now up to an 86 negative percent yeah. negative perception. So China is paying the cost for their behavior. Uh, and, you know, you brought up a valid point. This is about the Chinese Communist Party, not Chinese Canadians who are here. And, you know, this week I heard a report, and you don't hear about this very often. And I've asked the question many times, and we've had Chinese Canadian organizations on talking about interference of their uh, Canadian citizens here. And that, they're, that they have been saying for these organizations have been saying for, for years that this is going on, and nobody seems to be paying attention to them. Is there any way to bring China Chinese Canadians more into this discussion. You just did it, and it's increasingly coming to the fore. Particularly uh, active have been the associations relating to Hong Kong, because most mm -hmm. recently China's behavior toward Hong Kong and the squelching of their uh, quasi-autonomous and definitely freedom-loving spirit uh, has led to diaspora communities here being particularly able to say, look, we are being interfered with, and because it was in our news so much, you and I talked about it at the time, uh, I think that's been a factor. But yes, it's high time we take a closer look at uh, foreign interference in to Canada in terms of affecting particular segments of the population. Hmm. These are all residents of Canada, uh, but Canada is a, a community of communities, and that's a great asset for us in a globalizing world. We've got the diasporas, plural, of the world. And that's a, that's a great plus. But we have to realize now the degree to which authoritarian regimes can put 
uh, diaspora communities under pressure and under stress, and we now have to put in much higher levels of protection and um, safeguards for those for all of our communities. Elliot Tepper with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, discussing world politics as we love to do. Elliot, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Same to you, Scott. All right, March break is upon us. Also, a time change weekend. You lose a uh, hour of sleep, by the way, this weekend. Spring forward, fall back, uh, which would be Saturday night or Sunday morning at 2 a.m. You will lose a hour of sleep, but you get another hour of March break. Is that a way to look at it? All right, so many uh, taken off going on holidays. I don't think I've ever been actually on a March break vacation during March break. Maybe when I was a kid, like, uh, you know, in, in college and such, uh, did the spring break thing. Um, but it just seems to me just so crowded, so busy, so, um, uh, expensive. Uh, and, and now in the digital age that we live in, in Instagram, whatever, all the social media, people are taking pictures, not only of their food, but of their vacation plans and what have you. And if you're looking to break into somebody's house and you're following them relatively closely and you realize, oh my goodness, look, we're getting all of these, uh, uh, incredible pictures back from wherever it means no one's at home so uh, many are saying you know maybe wait till you get home till you start posting the pictures let's bring in Anne marie thomas ibc's director of consumer and industry relations and with us now Anne marie thanks for the time i hope you're well i am well thanks for having me this evening you know, I, I read a poll somewhere that like more than half of the people that are going on vacation will no doubt post uh, pictures of their vacation experiences while they're away. Um, I remember, and you know, maybe I'm an old guy and you know, this is the, you know, the conservative nature of my dad. You've always got to look out for things like this. You never know who's watching. Um, it just seems like common <laughs> sense not to do this, but apparently, uh, this, this, uh, I guess it leads to increased break-ins at, at people's homes that are doing this. Um, is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. You are literally sending an alert to would-be thieves that your home is unoccupied. Yeah. Right? So it's it's not a wise move. Wait till you get home and, and post something like, we had such a blast in Hotland, wherever it was that you went, <laughs> you know? Do it after you return. Nothing is, it's not worth your safety and your possession, safety, your home, to post a picture on social media. Well, you know, it's, 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 it's bizarre because, you know, we remember back in the old days, it's, well, get someone to collect the newspaper off your yard or in this case, uh, today packages that may be delivered. Um, you know, make it look like somebody is at your house, but you know, even whether it's putting a timer on your lights or what have you, but to actually say, Hey, I'm away in another part of the world. It, it seems to kind of, you know, blow all that stuff away. It, exactly. Like you don't want to advertise that you're not rich. It's common sense, really, when you think about it, to your point, you know, like have somebody come and, as you say, pick up your, any Amazon packages that you forgot you ordered a month ago and are just getting yeah. here now, right? Uh, um, have someone pick up your packages. But, but as important as posting, as not posting pictures on social media, it's really important that you have someone check your home when you're away. Hmm. especially during this weather, because, you know, what if we have a cold snap while you're gone and that for whatever reason, there's a power outage, your heating is off and you don't want to risk pipes bursting. And also, 
also on days like today when you know you're getting a foot of snow it seems like a foot of snow out there uh and yeah. you know you're away and your house looks like a winter wonderland and nobody's been in it <laughs> there's no footprints there's no tire tracks or anything a dead giveaway and that's another huge alert that nobody is here i mean you might have you know, Canada Post or Amazon going up and down your driveway, but not if you didn't have anything, you know. Um, but, it, you know, have someone uh, shovel the walkway at least or something. Just you just have a family member or a neighbor. Just come by and check your place and don't post stuff on social media. And another thing, if you're traveling by car, um if you stop, you know, so we've got to stop for, for lunch and, and or dinner and just stretch mm-hmm. our legs and everything when we're traveling by car. Make sure you tuck laptops and, and other electronics in the trunk or out of sight when you're mm. when you've parked for breaks because you really don't want your car window smashed and a laptop stolen because it was sitting out in plain view, right? Tuck everything away. Don't don't make your car your home or anything attractive to a thief and it's always good to tell a neighbor or somebody near you that uh exactly what your plans are so maybe they can keep an eye out they may you may be away three or three or four days before they even realize you're not there exactly exactly and this is going to sound so basic but before you leave make sure your doors and windows are locked i know when we're leaving for a vacation there's always last minute things and we're always running around doing this and that. But take one second to make sure all the windows are secured and the doors are locked. And uh, talk a little bit about when you're on vacation. Should you uh, make contact with anybody here? Uh, see how things are doing. Maybe check your door cameras or anything like that just to be aware of what's going on. Never a bad idea just to check in and make sure that all is well. As you say, whether it's through your door camera and most, and you know, more and more people are having those, um, you know, um, have the ring that, cameras, that yeah. good neighbor, have that family contact, you know, just, hey, anything up with my house, you know, I'm not going to be home till Saturday, everything good, That just a quick text or, you know, a quick uh, Facebook message. Not posting it, sending it privately. Obviously, uh, tough times for people, uh, you know, expensive uh, inflation and interest rates and and, and people are are genuinely having a tough time, whether it's groceries or such. Are you seeing an increase in this type of activity? Do you see an increase in this type of activity when times are a bit more desperate? So I don't I don't have any actual data yet on that. But I do know historically, in times of recession and, and, and hard economic times, claims do increase. All right. So let's run through real quick before we're out of here uh, what you should be doing if you're going on vacation, uh, you know, and as, as far as securing the house and making sure that it doesn't look like the family is out on vacation. Let's get some basic things we can do. Obviously, we're not supposed to post photos on social media that we're out of Please the country don't. or away from the home. So that's, you know, a basic thing that we can do. What yeah. about the house itself? What can we do to make sure that it, it looks a bit lived in? Yeah, have someone come and check it. Pick up your mail, um, shovel that driveway, and ensure that you're and and have them actually go in the house because as we talked about, burst pipes in the event that your heating goes off. 
All right, Anne-Marie Thomas has been with us, IBC's Director of Consumer and Industry Relations. If you are taking off for March break, don't announce to everybody that you're away for March break by posting your photos uh, of you having a great time like a day or two away from where you actually live uh, because uh, those nefarious people are watching, and as soon as they see an opportunity, they will jump on it. So make sure your house is uh, looks like it is being lived in while you are away. And again, all that goes out the door if you're advertising that you're not even there. Emory Thomas, IBC's Director of Consumer and Industry Relations. Thanks for the time. Be well. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right. In through the snow. Uh, sleet, rain ain't going to stop them. Coming up after the 6 o'clock news, uh, Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He's with us now. Scott, how are you? Hope you're well. I am. I'm fantastic. How are you doing? It's Friday. It's always I'm, good on a Friday. I know exactly. Even if you've got to shovel your way through it, right? Which uh, which, your th- which I did. We. Up, I'm on the escarpment, and I got to tell you, someone drove in. Uh, had to drop off something at our house today, and said we're coming from Brantford. There's almost no snow, and I get here, and it's like driving yeah. to the North Pole to see Santa. It's crazy how much snow there is up here compared to everywhere else. Yeah, and it's pretty much around the western side of the lake. And as you get a little farther north and out to the east, there's, um, you know, no snow uh, whatsoever at this point. So, yeah, very weird uh, along the uh, west end of the lake. All right, got to ask you your thoughts on what's going on with Soccer Canada. And, of course, the words coming out uh, by uh, one of the players, female players, in regard to Nick Montes and such. And, and how do they move forward from all of this? Boy, they... Uh... It, it's really not a good situation right now, which is kind of an understatement. I mean, there's just a lot of anger. And th- the irony of this, Scott, is this is the golden era of soccer for Canada. I mean, we this should be the time when we are talking about nothing else but our women's team winning Olympic gold and being, you know, World Cup contenders and our men's team finally getting to the world cup after 36 years and having star players on the rise there should be nothing but joy and bliss and you know unicorns and happiness and yet Mm. this is the stuff we're talking about and the the women are angry and the men are supporting the women and the men are angry look i I don't uh i don't have any idea because we i haven't seen what the contracts are what the deals are all those kinds of things um, so I, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how valid their points are. All I'll say is this: if you've done something that has pretty much every single person on both of our national teams seemingly upset, it's not a good situation, whatever the circumstances. So that 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 should not be, I wouldn't think, where you would want soccer to be at this time with the product on the field being so excellent. So how do you move forward for this? We remember what happened um, with Hockey Canada and such and issues there. Uh, this is obviously something completely different. But again, it's 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 a systemic issue. How do you move forward on this? How do you how do you change the, the storyline and, and make and make the players feel good about this? It's a great question. And the reason is because, you know, it's in some ways, the story sounds similar to what we have with pretty much every public service union, like the teachers union, the, the the medical unions, the answer is, well, if we just put more money towards it, everything will be fine. And yeah. that's not always what the answer is to fix problems. Now, it may be in this case, um, again, I, I, you know, I haven't seen the documents, so I don't really know, but I expect that, you know, more money 
generally makes everybody happy for the time. So is it simply a case of saying, fine, we'll, we'll give everybody on both national teams more money. We'll put more money into the system. Here's the thing to consider when you do that, though. One of the appeals of soccer right now to families as they're putting their kids into soccer, and you know it's all part of the same umbrella, is that it really is an inexpensive thing to put your kid in. If you're going to pour millions and millions and millions more into the entire system, that money has to come from somewhere. And one of the places that could come from is, well, we're just going to have to charge more when kids get into soccer and, you know, take it there. I I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to this. All I know is somehow the smarter people who are sitting around the table who are very involved in this, who know all the details of the ins and outs of these these deals and everything else, have to figure out a way to make sure that when the World Cup is here as part of the Canada-US-Mexico World Cup in four years, our men's team is still all playing. The guys are still playing and they are enthusiastic because we can't have them drop way off the map. And with the World Cup coming up, we can't have our women's team go into the dumper right now because it would be horrible with the way things are if this fight suddenly made all the progress turn around and go the other way. Uh, Andrew Horbath on with uh, the mayor of Hamilton on with Rick Samprin earlier this morning and saying things like, I hope they stay and everybody wants them to stay and we've encouraged Bulldog them to stay team. and whatever. Uh, sorry, yeah, what did I say? Nothing. Anyway, bull, uh, <laughs> bulldogs. bulldogs yeah. The Bulldogs uh, talking about that earlier this morning and it sounded really nice and sounded very cordial, but you know, is there a, li- a liaison between the city and the team? Is there somebody who is actually following this story and, and paying attention to it so it doesn't go off the rails? I applaud the mayor for coming on and talking about it. My comment to this would be um, might be a little late, and I don't just blame her. I mean, she's new on the job here. Uh, you yeah. know, the, you can't you can't totally put it all on her because, um, you know, this is the, she's been sworn in what November, so it's not like there's been a long, long time. It's been years, and I talked about this, I think, with you yesterday on your show. It has been years of avid disinterest from our council avid disinterest and i know that's a hmm. an oxymoron but it's true it's 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 been years of absolute yawning at this team so now all of a sudden that they are walking out the door to suddenly say oh uh please come back you know uh, uh, they may they probably will although i'm not sure but boy is it ever late sending your good wishes to them it's like everyone else said happy birthday and then 7 <laughs> months later you said oh hey happy birthday scott <laughs> And, and it's supposed to mean something like it just it, it's it just rings so and again i'm not blaming the mayor on this she's new on the job no. but it just yep. it rings so hollow when nobody else from the city really that i can recall has ever really with any level of passion spoken about this team brantford is falling over themselves i don't know if you saw in my column the other day there were a whole gaggle of brantford counselors who came down yeah. to the family day game and Michael Landlauer, the owner of the Bulldogs, says there were more of them in the building that day than yeah. I've seen of our Hamilton counselors in the last five years. It's just, it's it's very late to start talking about how much they like this team. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. It's coming up after the six o'clock news. And Scott, I'm sorry. Happy birthday. <laughs> well, let's see. We're uh, six months. You're close. Not seven. Well, that's about the same. All right. Have a great one. Thanks so much. You too. Happy birthday.
Uh, thank you. Uh, May, it's coming up. You're early. Look at that. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. Hi, it's Bob. Um, talking about going away on vacation, um, shut the, uh, the water off, drain the uh, water pipes, and uh, then you won't, won't have, and if the furnace goes off, you won't have any problem with uh, water pipes freezing. Okay, thank you.